Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. You're very welcome to Monday Afternoon's Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Seems strange to be doing a full week after all the bank holidays. Hope you had a nice weekend. Isn't the weather just catmelogen? It's catmelogen, I have to say. Nice evening and then the next day it's raining again and no sign really of a settle, a settled pattern at all at this stage. We can only live in hope and pray. When I tell you a little story, I was out shopping on Saturday morning as is my want in Tesco and I was the recipient of a lovely random act of kindness. Well, I'll tell you what happened. I went to the checkout uh, to check through my shop and uh, there was somebody in front of me who I wasn't aware of for a few moments. Uh, it was a gentleman packing his shopping and uh, when he was sort of finished and mine moved up the belt, the lady checking through said to me, have you a club card? I said, but sure, I haven't checked anything in yet. No, she says, this man here forgot his club card and he wants to give you the points. And I looked and I looked and I actually then, he didn't know me, you know, when he mentioned that, nor I didn't recognise him, but it was James. James, you know who you are. And he said to me, God, I listen to you every day of the week, Jerry. Well, James, I have to say, Thank you so much. Wasn't that just a lovely thing to happen that somebody did that? And I said to him, but why did you give me the point? You could take the receipt and bring it back again to the reception and have it. You know, you could have the points. They do that. If you keep the receipt, uh, you can go there and they'll put them onto your card. And he said, you know what, Jerry? He said, I couldn't be bothered. I forgot the card. I was away for a few days. Hadn't got the card with me, he says. And the easiest thing to do is to give the points to you. I just thought, what a lovely, lovely gesture that is. You know, and thank you again for your kindness. So I have James points on my card. So I have to say, uh, receiving an act of kindness like that, I am duty bound, I have to say to you, to return that act of kindness to somebody down the road in some other fashion. And I promise you, I will do that. But I just thought it was so nice and I'd tell you about it on late lunch this afternoon. Anyway, to let you know what's coming up on the show today, we pay tribute to the late, great Ray Coyle. You see, I interviewed Ray way back in 2010 when Tato Park actually opened 
and I want to remember him with an extract from that interview. We have a lady joining us who's lost her valuable rings. You'll hear the story, see if you can help her. A floral art group celebrates its golden jubilee. Sorry, it's diamond jubilee. I'm doing them out of a few years. And Joan Larkin, once of this parish, has moved to Spain. And we're going to talk to her about moving there, what was involved and what life is like for her having moved out there. And remember, the temperatures in Spain are 44 degrees at the minute. Lucky Joan. Anyway, we're talking to Joan after two. If you want to join us on the show, 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text, or you can call in on 0419832000. Now, we begin the show today with a man who's familiar to so many in this country. And to be honest with you, when... I read what he's been saying the last few days. I really am alarmed. He's predicting a severe recession here in Ireland come autumn, winter time. And in his words, we're in the midst of an absolute firestorm at the moment. I'm delighted to say hello on late lunch this afternoon to financial guru, Eddie Hobbs. Hello, Eddie. I am, yeah, I'm here. Can you hear me? I have you loud and clear. Good man, Eddie. Thanks for joining me on the show. I am really alarmed when I read the words you have to say in print today. Recession on the way, autumn and winter. And you really do paint a very, very bleak picture for us. I know, look, that the war in Ukraine has brought this on, but you say it's been underpinned massively by the borrowing involved in the pandemic, the combination of the two, is it, Eddie? Yeah, it is, yeah. It's a combination of... Um, well, firstly, like last, what triggered this really was last week, the World Bank brought out a very substantial report, uh, which basically said that the economic expansion, which uh, had been predicted for this year, coming out of the pandemic, was halving. And, uh, and, and basically, the world, world growth was going into a slump. And um, and, it was, and that was just based on the data so far. And, that, and the World Bank was saying that, look... Uh, we're in slump now, and uh, and we're not coming out of it until at least 2025. And I I was I, I thought that was quite reasonable on the basis of what we know. What we know is that the there's a what what what's being attempted, Jerry, is that central banks globally have decided to fight inflation by raising interest rates into the teeth of a, a huge cool down in in economic activity anyway. And uh, and the likelihood is they're going to make they're on target to make a policy mistake. So, so if you're if you're increasing interest rates at a time when e- when e- economic growth is contracting, you're going to accelerate the contraction. And uh, the, the World Bank is saying the same thing that uh, look we're in stagflation. That's a fancy way of saying that the inflation rate is running very far above the economic growth rate. So if you're in if your inflation is running higher than economic growth, you're going backwards. And uh, you're just one step removed from being into recession. They're saying that there will be recessions, um, identifying, you know, the weaker economies, the low-income economies throughout the world that are very exposed now to what's going to happen because when you increase interest rates in the United States, the dollar strengthens and that causes problems for these countries. But then when you look at Europe and you come across to Europe, this was happening in Europe anyway before Putin rolled over the border on the 24th of um, of February last, and just exasperated, you know, made a bad situation mm. worse, and created all sorts of supply line problems. <clears throat> but I mean, before the uh, be- be- before the Russian government made that decision, we had inflation anyway. We were looking at inflation up to last Christmas of around seven percent for last year, and it'll be seven or eight percent again this year. And the problem is that, and again, it's in the World Bank report. There is no there is no sign of inflation, and. Um, cooling down it's sticky it's it's mm-hmm. stubborn 
and it's 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 getting into places you don't want it to get into because it's hard to get it out. So the problem the central banks have, if they if they were to attempt to try to kill inflation today, which is what happened in the early 1980s, uh, you would have to increase interest rates to about one and a half times the inflation rate. Well, consider what that would mean. My so God, mean. we'd be back in the uh, the dark days. I remember them well. I lived through them with double digit uh, interest rates and high double digit. That's what you're talking about, is it? Well, I mean, the, the thing is that it's impossible. This is the central bank trap that has long been predicted. When you print all this money, create all this debt, which is what the world has done for the best part of a decade or longer, you're going to come to a point where inflation gets, gets out of the bottle, which is what's happened, to get it back in. You can't increase interest rates to kill it because you'll actually kill the underlying economies. Mm. So, so, so the central banks are now faced with... I mean, as I said to people, look... If you went into the inner sanctum of central banks today and, and got you right into the, the brain's trust at the very inside with, with, your, with maybe a half a dozen tables and, you know, lots of PCs, what you'll see is burning incense, shrines to Buddha, uh, holy water, rosary beads and, um, and some rabbit's feet because the c- central banks know that they've lost control of inflation and that they can't get it back without actually triggering recessions. So you're saying that recession is inevitable, it's going to happen, and you you don't agree with them increasing the interest rates, or have they no option? I've been reading that really they have little option, they're trying to cool spending. Well, they're hoping that, that, that the inflation, that what they're doing is they're hoping, it's not science, they're hoping that inflation will naturally cool down. Mm. The World Bank is saying, no, it's stubborn, it's going to be sticky, I agree with that. They're saying that they they're going to increase interest rates, you know, by by several percentage points between now and the end of the year and into next year, as if somehow that's going to have an effect. Uh, I don't believe it will. I think their timing is wrong. They 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 just they, they completely overdid the money printing, and that was caused by lockdown. So mm. the world went and embarked on a lockdown policy, which didn't any science behind it. Yes, uh, and the floodgates were opened, and there was somewhere between twenty and thirty trillion of of money created out of nothing. Uh, and and that's what we're now dealing with, trying to stop that from from generating inflation is almost impossible and it's now out of the battle. So um so the problem that the central banks have is that unlike the last time, they can't increase interest rates without really hammering uh, the, the underlying economies, including mm. Europe. Europe is especially vulnerable because if you look at it from the ECB's perspective, they're saying, well if we increase interest rates in Europe to cool down inflation, what about Italy? Yeah, and Italian debt is 150 percent of GDP. We're yes. about a third relative. Like we're in very good nick this mm. time around. But Italy, Italy is what the third largest economy in Europe. If Italy's um, debt were to blow out and its bond yields, its cost of borrowing is rising as all this is happening because of what's happening. Um, this the uh, the the ECB is in a trap, and uh, and that's why it's it's almost inevitable that we're facing a combination of rising interest rates and demand destruction caused by recession. In other words, recessions, I won't say will be allowed, but they won't be stopped in mm. order to cool down inflation. So and when you do all that, when you, when, you, when you throw all that stuff up in there, all that macro information stuff, and you just let it fall, and you look at, well, who's going to pay, who's going to pay the highest price? And the answer is the most vulnerable, low-paid workers in the private sector will be the ones that will pay the price. And, and Eddie, p- people are listening to you today now and, and saying... 
Where, where is this going? When you look at the pumps today, you know, fuel at what, 220 a litre on average across, maybe even higher, prices of foodstuffs rising incrementally. Is this going to continue uh, for the foreseeable future? These rises on and on. Where will it end? Well, it'll end with demand destruction. It, it, it will end with where people can't afford, um, you know, their discretionary, people's discretionary spending will be will be stopped. I mean, people will be just buying basics. So, that, you know, it will end in recession. Mm. Um, and, and that's, that's, that's the, the bottom line answer to your question. How long it will go on for is a function, really, of the decisions that are going to be made in the Kremlin. Uh, as winter approaches, are they going to really put the squeeze on Europe and throw it completely into recession in order to achieve their geopolitical ambitions, uh, which 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 requires the European Union to be uh, weakened considerably, especially Germany? And um, I think that he's going to do that. It's not the base case scenario. The base case scenario is that the Russians won't cut off oil and gas into Europe. Um, we'll, that remains to be seen. So it could it could get a lot trickier than that. And um, but like the idea that um, inflation is just that this is an issue, this inflationary issue is just going to kind of evaporate because of uh, events and because central banks were are now increasing interest rates. That's my point. That that that's simply not going to happen. That's that's just pie in the sky. The central banks have lost control of the dressing room. That's quite clear. Yeah. And um, uh, so we're we're looking at sticky inflation for years to come. And um, and and we're looking at at the very very best, we're looking into um, kind of very very low economic growth in Europe. Now Ireland again is an outlier. Ireland is in, is in good nick, despite all our legacy issues of both housing and the health healthcare system and so on. But we're not going to be a casualty this time around. But there's going to be casualties because if you increase interest rates, you create all sorts of problems with um, liquidity. In other words, with banks getting into difficulty. Mm. With, um, uh, with with just liquidity being lost out of the marketplace, and that that's that's quite clear. That's a real possibility. The U.S. housing market itself is very vulnerable. Um, so, so the, so 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 the choice is: Are we going to increase interest rates and create liquidity problems and create recession, or are we going to just let inflation happen? So, that's, what do you do? What does Eddie Hobbs do? Well, I mean, I think the thing is, I think that um, I think the global financial system itself is is in is in is in is in a, is in kind of in a kind of an interregnum a state where it's going to be re-engineered over the next number of years. I think we're going to see inflation running uh, above economic growth um, and above um, real wages for several years to come. And that uh, that's inevitable. You say that's just going to happen. Nobody can deal yeah. with this. It's as simple as that. And what about on the other hand, Eddie? Uh, the uh, the, the, the partnership is in talking to the government about a, a wage agreement and in the private sector there's claims as well and there'll be substantial claims when people see uh, the inflation that's happening all around them. Can those um, pay claims be met? Well, Ireland is in a very good... Ireland's debt to GDP now because of the foreign direct investment impact on the, you know, positive impact on the Irish economies and good nick. We're just above 100... You know, we're, 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 you know, we're, we're, we're actually below... Where we needed to get, which is below sixty percent of debt to GDP, we're down around fifty-five and falling. So, so that's because of economic growth. So, um, now it's not, it's not coming through to ordinary workers. I know that, but I mean they, they're the headline numbers. So, so we're doing okay there, and we have room for manoeuvre in terms of softening the worst effects of this. So, can the, the, can those pay can those pay increases be granted? You know, when it, when when they sit round the table and there's fairly substantial numbers looked, and it's understandable why people are looking for them. Can the government pay? Yes. 
The government can pay if it chooses to do so. It's a hard decision for it to make. It can do so, but it would increase government debt, most likely, uh, although it's coming from a low base. The issue, the question really is how long all this is going to go on for, mm. because the inflationary impacts that we're experiencing at the moment, notwithstanding all the stuff that goes on in the local Irish economy with price gouging when these things happen and you know the restrictive practices we still have in certain areas like law and so on, the bottom line is that this, this is an external problem. Yeah, uh, It's happening globally. Um, uh, these discussions between trade unions and government and trade unions and big employers are, will be happening globally. And, you know, that wage price spiral, uh, we're into it now. And mm. that's when inflation becomes sticky, because once that starts happening, it's very hard then to uh, to get ahead of inflation, to, to cut it off without triggering a huge recession to do it. Mm. And um, this is what happened in the early 80s when uh, in, in the United States, when the head of the Fed, Volcker, Increased basically, you know, increased the interest rates in America up to you know one and a half times American inflation and triggered the U.S. recession. Mm. You know, and put unemployment up to ten percent, which is a big number in the United States at the time. Uh, so, so, uh, so that's where we are. Unfortunately, uh, I, the, the 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 interview today in the Irish Mirror uh, by Lewis Nolan really arose on foot of an analysis that I had released last week about the World Bank report. Yes. Um, because, it, I mean, that was calling us. It was basically cutting through all the bullshit mm. and saying, look, this is what's happening. And uh, and by the way, that was just a photograph that they were taking in May 2022. Yeah. Things are moving on. And it's quite clear that inflation is not cooling down. It, mm. it just isn't. And um, what about the what the what about the big block of money that's on deposit and saved by people through the pandemic? That's always been talked about. Our savings, personal savings, have been at the highest level ever. Is that a buffer? It is. Yeah, it is. A, it's a very significant buffer, uh, and it's very very helpful that people have those savings um, from basically two years of you know being bored and not being able to spend their money. And that would that would certainly will act as a buffer and certainly will be helpful, but that's not going to cool down the inflation rate. Mm. You know, that's just going to help people through the next number of years, which are going to be difficult. Yeah. And um, where where the last time we had stagflation, which is you know again inflation running higher than economic growth for several years, was back in the seventies. And it was a horrific time. I lived through it myself, even though I was much younger and I had no commitments in my life or I wasn't exposed in any way to uh, financial uh, pressures. Um, One thing really jumped out of what you've been writing at me, and I'm sure listeners will will be uh, very interested or, or worried, should I say, to hear this. You're saying we're looking at electricity rationing this coming winter. Yeah, I mean, look, before the invasion of Kuwait, it was already clear that we were being set up for possible electricity disruption uh, to come. And this is because of the chasm we're crossing between uh, carbon-based uh, electricity and green electricity in Ireland. And, uh, you know, the closing down of the peat fired stations and coal and so on. And, um, and you can get caught if you get any kind of a problem then with regards to the supply of the hydrocarbons you are bringing in, namely gas. So, um, so gas prices and oil prices worldwide are, have gone sky high, and there is, there is, there, there. You know, we we decided to pick a fight or sanction the largest supplier of hydrocarbon energy into the northern hemisphere, and uh, and you can't do that without expecting that ca- that prices are going to rise. So we are going to be competing in the open market for prices against the Germans, 
uh, uh, who are you know who who has a very high supply of energy coming in from Russia. Mm. So so clearly the way you deal with um, the way you deal with prices that can become unaffordable is that it goes from becoming unaffordable for ordinary people to actual people themselves uh, rationing the amount of energy they're using. You still have it, but you are actually you're making the decision to the possibility that um, that the grid itself. Uh, is going to have to start to ration energy in order to, uh, you know, to keep keep industry going, uh, as well as to keep consumers going through a period where there's going to be disruption in energy supplies. I mean, I think that's baked in the cake. I mean, remember, this is exactly what the uh, what Putin's strategy is. He wants this to happen, and um, I don't think he's going to back off until at least we go through one rotten winter, and he's got the EU into a different negotiating position than it is in at the moment. Mm. It's um, it's worrying times for sure, Eddie. Listen, it's great to uh, catch up with you on the show today. Thanks for taking time to have a chat with us. Okay, thank you, Jerry. Take care, Bye bye. That's Eddie Hobbs there, and uh, you can read that piece. It's in the mirror, of course, today. Uh, but uh, the message is the belts are going to have to be tightened. Joan, good afternoon. Good afternoon, Jerry. How are you? I'm very good. You were obviously listening to me talking about the little, uh, the lovely, should I say, act of kindness I was the recipient of on Saturday. Absolutely. And you yourself had something lovely happen to you. Tell our listeners. On Friday evening, I was in Little in RD. Yeah. And I there was a man in front of me getting whatever, and he was buying a bunch of flowers. And when he had paid for them, he just turned around and handed them to me. Ah, told me they were for me. Ah, Joan, isn't that just lovely? Absolutely. And like it was, I, now I have to say, I wasn't, but it was a sad day. We were after, I would have to be in a funeral and that, so it really, really did. We were after burying my husband's grandmother. She was 94. And so it really did pick me up that day. Well, whoever you are, kind gentleman, you've made a lady very happy. And what a touch that was in such circumstances. Joan, thanks for letting me know. You're lovely and lovely to chat to you today. You too. All right. Take care. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Joan and RD who got the flowers. Random acts of kindness. Thank you, Loretto. Loretto Mohan was in touch with us. She won bingo books for the St. Nicholas bingo yesterday afternoon and won €150. There you are. Those books can certainly transfer into money. That's for sure. We had a €2,000 winner last week and Loretto was lucky again this weekend. Delighted for your help to wear Loretto. Now moving on in late lunch this afternoon. She was once of this parish now an expat living in Spain. Haven't spoken to her for a while. Delighted to say hello again to Joan Larkin. Joan, how are you? Hola Jerry. how are you? I'm really good. Thanks so much for joining me on the show this afternoon. Can you hear me, Joan? I can hear you fine, yeah. Can you hear me all right? All right, I can hear you, yes. I just thought there was a slight delay there or something. Anyway, Joan, welcome back to Late Lunch. Uh, You're an expat, as I said now. What part of Spain are you living in? Jerry, I'm in the southeast of Spain, about a half an hour south of Alicante. And tell me this, why did you leave us? Why did you decide, decide to pack up and go and head to beautiful Spain? Well, it was a bit complicated and it was a bit last minute as well. Without going into the ins and outs of it, we sold up in Slane, where we'd lived for 20 years, because our two kids had grown up and left. My daughter is in um, South Korea and um, our son is working in Dublin and living with his girlfriend in Dublin. So the two of us were rattling around in this big old house 
and we decided to sell up and we decided to build in Slane. That was our plan, was to build a smaller, nice house in Slane. So um, the upshot of it is, Jerry, after about a year and a half, our plan of permission was refused and refused. And <laughs> we kind of left saying, God, what are we going to do now? We didn't really have a plan B. So um, I have a good friend living here in Spain. She's been here 18 years. And she just said, why don't you come out and rent out here for a couple of months and see if you like it? So I did that, rented for a couple of months, decided I loved it and decided to buy a place. So rather than throw money away on rent, we decided to buy a house in Spain. There you go. That's it. That's it in a nutshell, in, in, in a brief resume. Was it difficult finding a place out there and was there a lot involved in actually, you know, uh, securing a property? Uh, no, there are so many properties for sale out here. Um, a lot of it's to do with Brexit, Jerry, because a lot of British people now can't stay here all year round. They're limited to the 90 days. So a lot of them have said, we'll just go back to the UK. So there's an awful lot of properties for sale from English people who have to go back, who are only allowed now to spend 90 days in Europe. So, no, we, we actually found it quite easy. I looked at about, I looked at about 15, 16 properties and I really wanted to live away from the tourist trap area. I'd rented down there for two months and it really wasn't for me. So I really wanted to live as part of a Spanish community. So I was very lucky. I found a little village about a half hour from the airport and I found a lovely little house in that village. And that's where I am. Yeah. So most people speak Spanish here. And so I'm intensively learning. I'm here, Jerry. Is that better? Ah, that's much better. I have you loud and clear. Look, I was going to say to you, fair juice to you. You went out, did all the research yourself, found the place. I can see a slot for you on a place in the sun, home or away. Move over, Jasmine <laughs> Harmon. I know. I'd often thought about that thinking, God, that would be my ideal job to be working out here in the sun. But let me tell you, Jerry, it's so different when you live here um, compared to when you're here on your two weeks holidays. For a start, the heat is tremendous at the moment. I see there's um, stuff in the Irish papers even warning people who may be coming on holiday here to Spain. Mm. The heat is just unprecedented. It's the um, hottest month of May in 100 years. We had temperatures of 39 degrees last Monday. Wow. And it's 29 today. It's not too bad. It's 29 today. But they're expecting up in the 40s next week. So it's really, really unusual. So anyone who's coming out just do take that into account. I'm spritzing, you can probably hear me spritzing some lotion on myself as I'm standing here. Um, yeah, you've got to take care out here. It's, it's really, really hot and, and it's very, um, the, the, the air is coming from the Sahara so sometimes we have that red sand in the air as well which can make you very wheezy. Mm. So just for people to be aware of that, it's, it's really hot out here at the moment. Well, we'd swap you for half the temperature here, Joan. It's that bloody miserable. And I know you have to cool down. But look, at the temperature is one thing. Um, what else? You say it's quite different when you're living. Talk to me a bit about the cost of living. You know, it's on everybody's lips here, the inflation, the cost of everything. Are you feeling it there too in Spain? Yes, yes. Um, you know, years ago, people would say Spain was so cheap and the cost of living was cheap here. It's almost the same here now, except for certain items. I mean, alcohol is dirt cheap here. Um, really, really cheap to eat out still. Um, but petrol is more expensive here now than it is in Ireland. I think I paid, I think I paid two euro nineteen last week for petrol here. Uh, but the thing is, here the government have a, a little scheme here where you get some money back. So if you say put fifty euros into your car, which I did the other day, I, I got charged I think forty four euro for that. So I got six euro back. Mm. So there's a, a lovely little scheme here where you do get reimbursed because of the, the fuel going up. Um, 
other than that, things are, I mean, the supermarkets um, are much the same. Irish and English goods are very expensive. I paid I paid four euro for a half pound of Irish butter the other day, Jerry. Oops. Oh, that's expensive. <laughs> and you, you can't do without your Irish butter. No, I wanted it so bad. I just said, oh, God, I'm going to pay it. And I mean, other than that, living here is very different because, of course, you have to get out of your swimsuit. You have to put on real clothes. You have to go to the bank or go to the post office or go wherever you're going. And, you know, you're not just lounging around a pool all day in your bikini. You, you really have to go out there and, and do the shopping and, and, mm. and do all the banking stuff, as I say, you know. So it, it is very different. And it's taken me a long time to get used to the heat and the lifestyle here. Um, and as you probably know, Jerry, I brought my two dogs with me. And um, the biggest change for them is the fact that they're they're indoors most of the day. And, and um, we walk in the morning around half past six and we're back usually by nine o'clock. And then we walk again in the evening around nine o'clock. But other than that, they're, they're inside because it's just too hot. Yeah, so obviously, CS, I was going to say that to you anyway, from, from the doggy's point of view. But from your point of view, mad dogs, an Englishman or Irishman goes out in the midday sun. Obviously, siesta time, it's vital that you get in out of this. Well, it is, absolutely. And you won't see any Spanish people out swimming in the pool at this time of the day. Like, I'm out at the pool right now, and you can probably hear the birds behind me. I hope you can anyway. There's loads of little birds. Um, But no, no, the Spanish have it right. They go in for the three hours when it's at the hottest. And then they eat very late at night, so they'll be going out for dinner around half eight, nine o'clock, half nine sometimes. Um, It's very different, but it's very relaxed. And you know the way we think we Irish people are laid back and say, ours will do tomorrow. The Spanish are even more so. <laughs> Everything is manana, manana, manana. <laughs> and, yeah. and as regards to you mentioned, you obviously do your shopping, do some cooking yourself. What on average uh, for, uh, for people out there who are residents and locals, do they eat out much, say, in a seven-day week? Are they eating out a, a few nights a week? Or what's the story with that? You mean the expats who live Yes, here? yes. But they're out every night of the week, Joe. Are they? Like yourselves? Honest to God. Honest, I can't keep up with them. My neighbours are from the UK and there's one lady in particular. She's 81. Yeah. And she's out five, six nights a week to a different place every night. And they all have a group chat and they decide where they're going and off they go. Yes, I yeah. don't go out as much as they do. Yes. So you're becoming more of a local than the locals themselves, I just hear from what you're telling me. But obviously locals would eat out less. But you're right, people who are, I just hear what you're saying, with people going there and moving out there, it's a bit different. I think of the heat again, and I want to come back to this, because I, I take it you have air conditioning in, in the house mm-hmm. that you have to run there, which is run on electricity. Water mm-hmm. you'll need a lot of as well. So there are mm-hmm. other aspects, you know, to the lovely weather and the surging temperatures that costs you. Oh, yes. Um, the air conditioning does cost. But I, when I moved here first, I asked a friend of mine, I just said, is it really expensive to run the air conditioning? And basically, she said, F it. She said, you need it. Leave it on. <laughs> so um, I haven't gotten my electricity bill yet because I just moved in the house less than a month ago. Um, but I got an electricity bill for the house I was renting. And for the month, my electricity was 46 euros. Oh, my God. Well, you know, yeah. that's that's not bad, you'd have to yeah. say, you know what I mean? But let's see yeah. what, what it brings with, with the AC running and all else besides. So, you know, it is relatively early doors here. Back to when you, you know, you did your research and you finally settled on the place and, you, of course, you had to go through all the legalities and everything. Mm-hmm. Is there any advice you'd have to somebody listening to us today who's considering a move like you've done? Is there a pitfall or two you'd warn them about? Oh, uh, yeah. Well, we were very lucky because I have a a good friend. She's been living here 18 years. So she put me in touch with her solicitor 
and her um, real estate agent because I had gone off on a solo run myself and I didn't want to bother her. So I'd gone off and I'd looked at houses with a couple of different agents. And there's a, quite a bit of skullduggery goes on in the real estate market out here. And um, a lot of agents can all be vying for the one property. So you've got to be very, very careful and sign absolutely nothing unless you're in a solicitor's office because sometimes you're asked to sign in the agent's office for a house and you're to sign this document or that document. Sign absolutely nothing until you're with your solicitor. You know, when you come out here green and you haven't got a clue, I was very lucky that my friend was here 18 years and she bought and sold a few houses herself. So she really saved me because I would have just walked in and, oh, yeah, this is lovely, and, you know, sign on the dotted line because I was in love with the place. But um, you've got to be so careful. It's not like at home with one agent handling one property. There could be three different companies handling one property. Mm. Good advice there. Yeah, so be Mm. careful on those fronts and, and, and seek expert help. Are you missing anything about us? I am, of course. I I do miss my friend, um, in particular, Carmel. I know she's listening in. I really miss her an awful lot because she's like my mother to me. Um, I miss Club Orange. Am I allowed to say that? (laughs) Very much. I can't get it out here. Um, I miss Centra tuna rolls. I was telling Louise the other day, I miss going down to Centra and getting a tuna roll. And um, I don't miss the bad all weather now, Jerry. No. I really don't. Um, I'm getting used to it here. But of course, I miss... It was strange for me because we sold our house in Slane and we'd lived there 20 years. And suddenly I found myself in Spain. And when I say, oh, I'm going home next week, I don't have a home. You know, in Ireland now, I don't have a home to go home to. Mm. Um, so that feels very strange. And I think that's made it much more difficult for me to settle here. Um, knowing that I actually don't have a choice at the moment. Mm. I don't have a home in Ireland at the moment. We will have, but at the moment we don't. Okay, slain oh, to Spain. Yeah. I love it. Slain to, to Spain. Spain. <laughs> There's a ring about that to the race. But look, you'll sort that out, as you say, down the road. Oh, uh, just a, que- a question for you that's come in. And I know you mentioned it at the start. Uh, and um, the whole aspect of the price of property out there. You were saying lots of uh, British expats because of Brexit and everything moving away and there was quite a selection there. Is there value in Spain today? Huge value, Jerry. Huge value here. Um, I'll give you an example now. There's a two-bed house just up the road from me. Now, when I say two-bed, it's a big house. Uh, kitchen, living two bathrooms, two bedrooms, private pool on a half acre of land about 15 minutes from Alicante Airport. 180,000 euro. 180? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> With its own pool and about a half acre, full gardens, fruit trees, fine big house, lovely villa, 180,000. There's value in that and for sure. You know, that's... There's uh, value, Jerry. Mm. if you move away from the coast, if mm. you move away from uh, the whole area from Torvieja down to, um, all the way down to Murcia, if you move away from there and come inland, mm. come inland, like I'm inland, but I am less than... 10 minutes drive from Guadamar Beach, which is 10 miles of beautiful sand, if yes. I want it. Yeah, so but it's... the value is inland. It's there for you as well. Yeah, that's just uh, somebody interested there to, to ask that question, yeah. may have it on their minds. Anyway, uh, go on and run in and switch on that air condition and make sure it's on and cool down after the chat and the sun with us. It's lovely to catch up with you. We'll keep in touch. You're, you're now our Spanish correspondent officially. I surely am. I'm going to jump in the pool, Jerry. Never mind. Ah, jeepers, you devil, you! You have me. You put the goo on me here now for sure. I wish, wish I were there. 
Come out and visit anytime. <laughs> ah, listen, you're so nice. Thanks so much for joining us on Bye. Late Lunch today. Take care of yourself, Joan. Hasta luego. Bye. Bye. That's uh, Joan Larkin there. Moved to Spain quite recently and giving us a feel for what life is like there. 44 degrees they're talking about today. Cheapers, we can't make 17 or 18 here. What's the world coming to? Louise, the shopping trolley. I think the shopping trolley is back. Do you know what I'm talking about? No. A shopping trolley. The one that you put the two euro in at Tesco no, or done stores. No, 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 no. Before there was ever those things at all, there was a thing called the shopping trolley. And I've seen a number of women with them the weekend. It's the little thing with a handle and two wheels on it that you pull behind you if you're going down the town to put your shopping oh, into. Oh, yeah, yeah. My Aunt right? Doreen used to have one, it's yeah. It's a trolley, isn't it? It is. A, well, yeah. my mother used to call it a shopping trolley, but I thought it was a thing of yesteryear, to be honest mm-hmm. with you. And honest to God, I noticed the weekend a number of women with those little trolleys with the two wheels. Your aunt had one, had she? My aunt Doreen used to have one, Do you yeah. remember it? Yeah, mm-hmm. they used to go downtown and they'd put all their shopping into it and they'd pull it along behind them. Leave the car home. Well, you know, now this is, what, this is what I'm getting at. You know what I mean? If you were going walking shopping, you know... Because you, you can fit quite a lot in, can't you? You can. Listen, you can, it's like the TARDIS. Fit a child you, in. Yeah, <laughs> a, a big child as well into it, that's for sure. But I saw... People are, and, and today coming to work, there was a lady waiting on the bus. And God Almighty, it must be just, it's karma. Here, this lady had a beautiful new one of them. You know, all colours and lovely size. And she was waiting on the bus to go shopping as well. Is the shopping trolley back, folks? Anyone listening to us today? Or did it go anywhere in the first place? Well, I just thought it had it, gone because <laughs> of, you know, your right cars and travelling to supermarkets. And, you know, the centre of town's been ripped apart by the out-of-town shopping centres. You wouldn't walk out-of-town with your trolley. Anyone listening to us today has the trolley we're talking about. The lovely little thing you pull behind you with the two wheels. If you have, you might let me know. 086-1800-658. WhatsApp or text me. Are you a trolley dolly or a trolley Dan? (laughs) Whatever you are. You wouldn't see men with them, would you? Really? No. They weren't a man thing. Mm. They weren't a man thing. I'd say it's the odd lad. The odd one. The odd one. The odd one would have it, perhaps. 0419832000. Probably sent out by the wife. <laughs> <laughs> Go shopping. <laughs> Are you a trolley dolly? 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text. I want to change the mood slightly, Louise, because many moons ago I went to uh, Glasgow to see Glasgow Celtic play. They were playing Aberdeen on the day and I made a documentary called Come On The Celts and actually was nominated for a national med- uh, radio award at the time which I was thrilled about. So I travelled with St. Margaret Celtic Supporters Club by bus to Dublin Airport flight over to Glasgow bus to the ground and the same the way back home All right, and it was a fantastic day made a lovely documentary and it obviously caught the attention of the judges at the awards and was nominated shortlisted Anyway, Louise, on that trip, on the way, when the match was over against Aberdeen with Celtic 1, we did what we had to do. Then the bus came and picked us up to bring us back to the airport to fly home. And I had my recording equipment with me sitting in the bus. And Adrian Hillman's uh, niece, I think it was Clara, was sitting beside me. And she said to me, Jerry, have you that switched on? And I said, what do you mean? Oh, you need to switch it on now, Jerry, for what's about to happen. See, she'd been on these trips before. I hadn't. And the next thing... On the bus, you have it ready there, Louise. This began to play. Just 
screaming and the fires are howling way down in the valley tonight. There's a man in the shadows with a gun in his eye and a blade shining no so bright. There's evil in the air and there's thunder in the sky and a killer's on the bloodshot streets. Born down in the tunnel with a deadly horizon, no I swear I saw a young boy down in the cover. He was stopping the foam in the heat. And you know, I sit here today and I have tears in my eyes when I listen to that because I come back to the story on the bus. And I will never forget Gary Bomber Murphy. He was a great Celtic fan. And from the top of the bus, Louise, when that struck up, he came down the centre aisle mm. and did his thing. And I can still Big see him. Oh, it was his party piece, you see, Louise. It was the Bomber's party piece. And as long as I ever live, I will never forget it. And I'm sure the Celtic fans who've travelled with St. Margaret's and remember those days will never forget it either. He put on a show and he had big, long black hair at the time and he came up and down giving it good old dancing to that and doing all the moves and everything. And the bus went mad. And talk about a standing ovation at the end. But the reason I mention him today is that sadly and very sadly, Gary Bomber Murphy passed away suddenly at the weekend, only in his 50s. And I wanted to remember him today by telling that wee story and playing that song and remembering him and extending my sympathies to his mother, brother, all his family and friends and all the Celtic family as well because they loved him, Louise. They just loved him. And to think that he's gone is very sad. Mm. All too young, you know, in his 50s. I remember Gary Bomber Murphy on late lunch this afternoon. Absolutely great guy. And another wee story about him. I know he wouldn't mind telling this. And I thank Kieran for it. Another time they were on a Celtic trip and um, the match was finished. They were in Presswick Airport and they all flew home to Dublin. But when they got to Dublin, there was no bomber. He yeah. wasn't there. And there was... Hilly was going, where is he? What happened to him? Oh, my God. And there might have been mobiles or anything at the time. Anyway, he, he, he never, he wasn't on the flight. And he was with the party going over at the match and everything. Anyway, they found out he had to make his way home the next day because he fell asleep in the <laughs> toilet. <laughs> and didn't wake up till the next morning. <laughs> oh, wow. God, he's looking down at me now for heaven and probably giving out yards that I even mentioned. But I'm sure he wasn't <sighs> because there are great memories of him. And may he rest in peace. Uh, the bomber Murphy Gary, who was uh, called to his eternal rest unexpectedly at the weekend. You're with Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Coming up after the break, we're going to hear about the Drogheden District Floral Art Group who are celebrating their Diamond Jubilee. A listener on to say, that trolley you're describing, Jerry, it's like a golf cart with no gloves. 
I suppose it is. <laughs> but I don't think it'd fit the clothes. Well, the driver of the woods, anyway, for sure, would probably take the irons comfortably, lengthwise, as they say. There's a lovely message in from David. Hi, Jerry. I've been laid low at blooming COVID and self-isolating for the past four days. My wife, Rose, doesn't drive. But my mother's shopping trolley came in so useful on Saturday. She took it to the shop and was able to fit half the shop in it. There'll be no need for the cow when I get back on my feet. My Nissan has been replaced by a trolley. What about that? <laughs> Thanks, David, for getting in touch with us on the show today. The trolley, it seems, is alive and well. It certainly is from what I saw at the weekend. And alive and well, may I say, after 60 years, is the Drogheda and District Floral Arts Group and its president, Christopher O'Brien Lynch, joins me now. Hello, Christopher. Hello, Gary. Hi, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Jerry. How are you? Thanks very much for joining me on the show. Not I suppose now, you know, floral art, flower arranging. Yeah. Why is a man president of the club? May I ask? First off, well, well why not? You know, um, <laughs> good on you. <laughs> well, uh, rather th- to get a bit personal, in '77, I, I got married to my lovely wife, who is still my lovely wife, thankfully, and um, she started um, a, a, a flower arranging. And I started to know your car course. And after a number of years, she became a demonstrator, a teacher and a judge and became president of the club in 1982. And she hosted a gala demonstration in the uh, MMM auditorium while she was nursing an infant. And in the meantime, I still don't know anything about cars and um, (laughs) I couldn't change a puncture. But anyway, um, over the years, I sort of played rugby and point-to-point race and did all sorts of physical things, um, boxing, and then I concentrate on gardening and then it says on the base if you can't beat them join them so I became I became a member of the club and um, initially doing table quizzes for them in 1988 and then um, I started flower arranging and I'm probably the only uh, person in the country that I'm aware of that has boxing medals and flower arranging medals but I'm not sure that mightn't be true but that's where I got there anyway and I'm delighted to be member the only the only male member at the moment as far as I know of Drahada and um, we have uh, I have um, 30 or 40 ladies over 50 ladies coming to our meetings now since Good. Covid Good on you. Well, that's a great story and yeah. and fair dues to you. And like you have a, as you say, a sporting background. Tell yeah. me, uh, just or, or tell our listeners about the history. It was founded on Midsummer's Day, 1962, yeah. the club. Where and by who? Well, now, uh, there was a, a lady called Centre Woods and she had a very, she was a member of a very strong committee of very, very strong women at the time. And uh, there was one man, incidentally, on the committee, but he only got a job as assistant treasurer. They kept him, you know, well below the covers. And um, she put in an ad into the, the paper that says, floral arrangement is an art in which many ladies are extremely interested. And it's often been pointed out that it would be an excellent idea if such a society were founded in Drogheda. And there was a great response to the ad, Jerry, and they had 33 members turned up and 33 apologies, which wasn't bad. And they met in the Gate Club in Drogheda, and uh, the, I don't think the gay club is with us anymore. No. But um, and then they 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 went from strength to strength. Now the the major thing about it at the time was that a lot of these people had their own gardens, mm. and it was very much a, a floral art group and a gardening club. Mm. And as many of them were a member of a gardening club and showed blooms as well as floral displays, and that was very much the beginning of the. The, the, the club it, it came out of gardening but mm. over the years then they moved around the town 
Uh, they went to the British Legion Hall in Duke Street, the Cairns Memorial Hall in Mary Street, the Presbyterian Church Hall in Palace Street, then the Westcourt Hotel, the D Hotel, St Peter's Church Hall, Peter Street, the Point Valley Hotel, the Loaves and Fishes, and then nowhere for two years uh, with a connection by WhatsApp and um, text messages. And thankfully back to the Boyne Valley Hotel in March where... As I said, we had over 50 people on our first three meetings there, you know. Fantastic. I think we're going to have to play the Travelling Wilburys and well, dedicated exactly. <laughs> to you guys. It, well, it was over 60 years and I suppose there was different reasons, I suppose, for changing. In some cases, it was the price of the hall. In some cases, the, 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 the nature of the hall was changed. And in some cases, maybe the space wasn't big enough. For, for, for flamboyant flower arrangers, you need space and you need space to show off these wonderful arrangements which are done after, you know, two or three hours work in front yeah. of a, a, a very appreciative audience. So you need space. And, you know, you have a programme that you follow through each year, autumn and spring, competitions, day trips away. So there's a lovely annual, you know, uh, plan and uh, happenings that take place year on year. Yeah, it's it's very well organised, Jerry. Yeah, we have a... We have an AGM at, uh, in May and then we, we plan the rest of the year there. We have an, an annual day trip, usually in July. And this year we're going to a flower festival. But along the way, we'll have, uh, we're visiting a garden in Slane, in Mulladill in Slane, called the Insomniac Gardener. Then we'll have coffee on the banks of the river in Slane Castle. And then it would be very remiss of me if I didn't include some retail therapy for your shopping trolleys. So we, we go to uh, Johnstone Garden Centre and then Nace for a big flower festival and back to the Glenside then for a slap-up meal and a raffle and then put them all back to bed at nine o'clock. <laughs> <laughs> Christopher, you're a lucky man. 50 oh, women to be put to bed, including your wife. I'm a stabber. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me this. Um, you have, uh, of course, um, a, a big part to play in the community with the numbers you mentioned there and all the families yeah. and friends associated. But you're also great supporters of charity. Yes, yeah. Over the years, as I said, we, we have the day trip, but there are demonstrations in the spring and, and in the autumn. And uh, we have a gala dinner every two years. And the proceeds of the gala dinner goes towards different uh, charities. And over the years, um, we have supported um, cancer research. Um, uh, what else have we got? Um Sorry, I, Enable I, Island, I have them, the oncology have them unit at the hospital, there. guide dogs, the hospice yeah. movement, women's yeah. refuge. By God, you've spread uh, across quite well, a number of well, our very... actually nothing we haven't supported. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. We're looking at like big money, like two, three, four thousand um, a shot, you know, Good so on it's, you. It's, it's wonderful. Yeah. So all all deserving causes, the women's refuge, draw the homeless and um, this year I think we'll, we'll probably have to look after our Ukrainian friends you yes, know yes yes good on you now here's the thing the reason yeah. I'm talking to you is it's 60 yes. years since 62 and you're yeah. having your diamond jubilee celebrations and one of the high points is the dinner and demonstration happening tomorrow night at the Glenside Hotel and you have a very special guest demonstrator tell me about him Yes, this is Christopher White. Christopher started as a, a callow youth of 18 years of age in the Drogheda Club and his mother used to bring him in, uh, Aggie White, a great friend of the club. And at that stage, he was very much a novice. But over the years, he has 
become effectively an international star mm. and he's he's a Chelsea gold Chelsea Flower Show gold medal winner he's won four gold medals at Bloom and he's lost count of the number of silver and silver gilts and bronze medals he has boxes of them at this stage so he's become an international star he's absolutely wonderful he puts on a great show he's a showman as well and he will be the star of the show after the dinner on Tuesday night tomorrow night in, in the Glenside Hotel and he was a member of the club to start with then he founded his own club in the Knoll but he still crisscrosses between Drada and the Knoll and he said if he could he'd be he'd be out doing flowers every night he also runs Three Gates Gardening Centre as well and uh, he's just he's, he's a marvellous individual it's it's funny when you say it uh, Jerry. you know the fact that there are not many male members of, of, of flower clubs mm. there's quite a disproportionate number of de- male demonstrators which is which is unusual you know oh yeah you see the boys always take the top positions you know yourself you know yourself anyway <laughs> but <laughs> no I jest I have to say I jest are, are you sold out Can I, is no, it well, too- we have over 100 tickets sold which is fantastic yes. but tickets are still on sale and they can get them at 085 800 from myself and uh, we're looking forward to as I say, celebrating almost to the day 60 years of what we call Friendship Through Flowers. And we have guests from the National Organisation, which is the Association of Irish Flower Rangers. And we'll have the chairman and the treasurer there. And uh, we're hoping to have uh, maybe Drogheda's first citizen. Uh, we don't know who that's going to be because th- that election is tonight. But um, if we're lucky, maybe Drogheda's first citizen will, will make our first appearance at the Glenside Hotel tomorrow night. Oh, it depends on the politics. No, again, that's not true. It, it, they'll be welcome no matter what the shade they are or who oh, they are, I have be to say. Yes. Be just before you finish, just yeah. in essence, for people yeah. who don't understand this yeah. uh, pursuit or pastime or yeah. love that you all have, yeah. what's the essence of it? Well, it's it's getting a, a bunch of flowers and um, accompaniments, you know, like um, uh, stage craft and, you know, spending half or an hour or so putting them together in in a balanced way so that you end up with something which is, is rather beautiful and it'll, it'll have a shape, it'll have a design, it'll have colour, it'll have rhythm, it'll have everything. And it's just... You know, you look at it initially when you start and it's just a, a load of uh, ingredients. It's, it's like making a cake, I suppose, and you make a beautiful mm. arrangement instead of a beautiful cake from all these arrangements. And demonstrators will do, you know, five or six of these or even seven in a night, usually five. And then they'll, when they're finished, it's like Blue Peter. They're saying, here's one I made earlier. <laughs> and they pull a little baby one out, you know. <laughs> I love it. I love it. I love it. You've just hit the nail on the head so love beautifully it. for us. Anyway, may I say to you in conclusion... Congratulations on Thank 60 you, years. You've all carried the flame magnificently. Good luck with your Jubilee celebrations tomorrow night at the beautiful Glenside Hotel. And here's to the next 60 years for Drogheda District Floral Art Group President Christopher O'Brien Lynch. Thank you for joining me on the show. Thank you very much, Jerry. Take care. We're heading to Enfield in County Mead now on late launch where Bridget Mooney Jones is standing by and I'm really hoping we can help her. Hello, Bridget. Hello, Jerry. How are you? If you haven't got the rings, can you really say it's 20 years? Well, probably not, no. But <laughs> ah, 
You can, you can. I'm only pulling your leg. Of course you can. You have the paperwork. The search search says it's 20 years, Jerry. There you go. You have, I know, you have the paperwork anyway. Anyway, on a serious note, and uh, you're talking to me today to see if we can help you at all. You were away on holidays. Where were you? Uh, We were in Lanzarote and we came back on Saturday evening. Lovely holiday? Uh, Lovely. The weather was great. Had a lovely time. Really nice. No, it was that hot. You had a little bit of bother with your fingies, with your fingers. I did, unfortunately, just the heat and my fingers swell up when it's really hot. So I couldn't actually put my rings on and we're leaving um, to go to the airport. So I put them on my watch, the tree rings, the dress ring and my, my wedding rings. And I secured the watch, closed it and put it in my handbag. Okay, and it's a beautiful Orla Kylie watch, no less. It was, yes. And so you attached the rings to the watch itself, okay? I did, yes. And they were secure. There was no way they were coming off. No, No. the the watch was shut and closed and the little loop that holds the strap down was closed as well. So everything was very secure, yes. And it was in your bag at Lanzarote Airport for sure? Yes, definitely, because I checked, yes. Okay, Ryanair flight FR7200 home to Dublin, arrived in what, 740? uh, we know we le- we only we, we didn't arrive in Dublin until half past eleven. Okay, eleven thirty p.m. Yes, on Saturday night because this is yes. very important, folks. Eleven thirty Dublin Airport Saturday night. Yes. And you come through, pick up your bags. When did you check your handbag or whatever to see if the watch and rings were there? Well, I didn't. I had emptied my handbag. We got home about quarter to two on the Saturday. We had a cup of tea. Okay. I emptied out some stuff, but I'll be honest, I, I, I think it was just because it was a long day. I hadn't noticed that the rings weren't there. But when I woke up Sunday morning, Jerry, the first thing I thought of was, yep. oh God, where did I put my rings? Mm. So I jumped out of bed, ran up to the kitchen, looked in my handbag, looked all around and nothing. We checked the, the vehicle we were after being in coming down from the airport. I checked all the luggage in case maybe I'd t- taken it out and dropped it in maybe or something. When I got home, you know when you're tired, yes. nothing, absolutely nothing. And I knew straight away, I said to my husband, oh my God almighty, we've lost them. So you've checked uh, checked all the cases, the car, uh, you've, you've been on to Ryanair. Yes, I have. And I sent an email on Saturday and they sent me a reply, or, or sorry, Sunday, and they sent me a reply then yesterday or Sunday evening. And I just, again this morning, in case maybe, which has been the weekend and everything, sent another email to the lost and found in, in for Ryanair, to, the same thing, same information. And about and two hours later this morning, I got another email, the exact same as the previous one, to say that we don't have anything on, our records don't show anything that would match in what you've described. Okay. Um, Etc. I've also contacted um, the lost and stolen in Dublin Airport mm. um, for the airport itself. And um, now they haven't come back to me as of yet. I've got reference numbers, but nothing has uh, um, come back on that. Um, but I, I do believe that we lost it on the plane because I, wouldn't, I wasn't near my bag um, when we were collecting the baggage. I wouldn't have needed to touch it. Everything was, okay. you know, it was around my neck. So I, I don't, I don't think I lost it in the airport. If I'm being honest, so you like, in the physical airport, you think that right? It's it, it, it fell or came out of the bag or ever on that Ryanair flight. 
I do. Our, my or my, my back. We were at the very last row, row, uh, row thirty-five. So I was the very back of the plane. Mm. Myself, my husband, and my son, and it's where the food is prepared in the toilets. And there was all people going up and down, and the, you're sort of squashing in to let people go yes. by. And you know, it's, it's busy yeah. and everything, which is okay. fair enough. Yeah. And the bag was open during the flight because I had other documents stuck in. And I do. I, I think that's the only place it could have been lost. Okay. Realistically, will you? Describe the watch, please. Yeah, the watch is a Norla Kylie watch. It's a navy strap and the face is navy as well. The, there's no numbers on the watch. They're little silver dots. The watch is quite distinctive because I banged it here about two weeks ago one day in work and there's a little sort of sh- sharp crack at the very bottom near the six where the glass is slightly cracked and some of the little dots in where the, for the numbers have all started to fall down in the watch. Can I give you a little hope? Can I give you a little hope because I'm going to say this to you. Do you know what day today is? Uh, no, well, I know it's Monday, but what is that? No. <laughs> it's Monday the 13th of June, but today is the Feast of St. Anthony. Oh God, so, I, my parents and my mother-in-law would be disgusted. I didn't know that. Well, okay. well, 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 the Feast of St. Anthony and you do know that St. Anthony is the man you pray to if you've lost something. I, and I've done that and the amount of texts and Jerry from people that I don't know obviously saying pray to St. Anthony pray to St. Anthony I, I, I must have got I'd say and messages on Facebook and stuff like that hundreds of them yes. people saying pray to St. Anthony so there you so go. we have been doing that good well that's I just wanted to make sure you were yeah, anyway no, no. Definitely. Ra- good on you Ryanair FR7200 from Lanzarote to Dublin on Saturday evening arrived into Dublin airport 11.30pm were you on that flight do you know anybody it's a watch with three beautiful rings attached and honestly Bridget would be delighted to hear from you if you happen to pick it up or come across it or know anything about it anyway it's two weeks till the year 20 the anniversary Porrick yeah, and yourself I'm... are going to celebrate one way or the other congratulations to both the MSA as well on the, the 20th yeah. anniversary in advance but it would be lovely wouldn't it to have the rings back oh it would look it, it's the sentimental more so than anything you know, for me, that's yes. really the, the hard part. I understand. Look, I yeah, understand. Yeah. I but understand. look, I, I, I'd just like to say thank you to everybody that has contacted me already with different things that they found and pictures and everything. I'm overwhelmed because I wouldn't be a big social media user, if I'm being honest. Yes. So I really, really am. And I really appreciate everybody's time. I, I genuinely do. St. Anthony, are you listening? Please do help us with this uh, lovely watch and rings and do your best you can for Bridget. Thank you for joining me. I hope the story ends well for you. Thank you, Jerry. Thank you very Take much. Take care of yourself. Have bye-bye. 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 If you know anything, please do give us a shout. 086-1800-658 by WhatsApp or text or the LMFM main number. News, weather and sport on the way. After three, my soundtrack and remembering the late, great Ray Coyle. But taking us to three, are you listening, Bridget? Don't stop believing. Never, ever, ever. Just a small town girl Living in a lonely world She took the midnight train going anywhere 
my soundtrack this week comes from a recent stage musical that tells the life story of a woman who emerged from very humble beginnings in Nutbush, Tennessee to become one of the world's greatest female rock and roll superstars. Tina the Musical had its premiere on the West End in London in April 2018 while the Broadway production in New York opened in November the following year, 2019. To much acclaim on both sides of the Atlantic, I have to say. And yes, Miss Tina Turner herself was part of the development of the show which began in 2016. Great reviews, great commentary from the day it opened, from the theatre critics, the press, everybody. Everybody went along to see it. It's just been an outstanding success and it runs away today. Broke during the pandemic, as all stage shows did, but it's back full blast now and packing them in every night of the week. There was particular praise uh, when it opened first for Adrienne Warren, who played the title role majestically, they said. So let's begin a week of Tina. Miss Tina Turner with this all-time Tina classic. Left a good job in the city Working for the man every night and day And I never lost one minute of sleep And I was worried about the way that things might have been You know that big wheel keep on turning Ah, simply brilliant, Tina Turner. And uh, one of our classic numbers from my soundtrack this week from the stage show Tina the Musical. More in words and song this time tomorrow. After the break, we pay tribute to the late, great Raymond Coyle. Raymond Coyle passed away in recent days. What a man he was, and I was privileged to meet him a number of occasions uh, here in studio on LMFM and at Tato Park and beyond. He was a wonderful family man, most successful businessman, great supporter of community and has given so much joy to so many through Tato Park. I want to remember him today by going back to a lovely interview I had with him in October, the 24th of, sorry, November, the 24th of November 2010, the day after Tato Park opened. And he spoke to me about a range of issues, but here's an extract from that interview where he talks about the idea for Tato Park, but first, how he got into the crisp-making business initially. Yeah, I got into the business by growing bananas in the 70s and uh, early 80s. Just uh, I was supplying Tato and Perry Crisps uh, and Smith's Crisps around then with bananas. And eventually uh, I bought a very small cooker and thought there was a, an opportunity to make crisps. As, uh, and we started making crisps in 1983. That was your first venture. The name of those crisps, Cottage Crisps, was it? Cottage Crisps, that's right, and Triff Crisps for Superquin. And how did that go? You were you were starting off in a new venture into a market that was dominated by the big guys. Was it tough early on? It was totally dominated by Tato. It was extraordinarily tough uh, to start off, to try, first of all, to get the brand recognition, get the brand up and get people to buy the product that didn't know it. So it was a touch and go for three or four years where we would last. And were you national? Were you supplying all around the country? Oh, no, no. no. We had about eight or nine people uh, working with me. In fact, most of them still work with me. And we were mostly doing the Dublin area. 
concentrating around your sort of close to your oh, home base. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. But the big breakthrough came for you, really, wasn't it, when you acquired Perry from the Capaldi family, was it? That's right, um, uh, Mark and Philip Capaldi. Uh, that was uh, in uh, 1992 or three. Uh, Perry was a, a, a company I used to grow up, uh, Chris, or Pelehis for, and they were closed down for quite some time. So I had uh, people knew it, uh, older people certainly knew it. So it's only for we got that, we were definitely wouldn't be making crisps today, uh, well, uh, no doubt about that. So a lot of people knew it, and when we brought out foil packaging, which was in first one to do that, and uh, then we go into the Quinsworth in those days and uh, done stores, and we started getting some traction. So that was the big break that you needed to move you to in the direction that, that you've moved ever since. Sam Spuds, of course, we all knew, were based in Donegal. They were your next acquisition. A few years went by before you, you got those. Oh, yes. That's uh, 16 years ago now, uh, since we bought Sam Spuds. That was in Guidor. And uh, it, it principally done snacks and uh, it done potato crisps as well. And you were again buying a recognised brand that had been built up around the country. With a lot of goodwill to it. Mm. And that's important. Of course. It's people's goodwill that they see a brand and buy it. And if you don't get the support from your consumer, you're certainly not going to last. Now, the big fellas are still there. Everyone knows Tato and King, of course, very popular crisps in the country. You started producing those brands. Tell us how that came about. Well, Hunky Dory was the next... Uh, was your next, yeah. yeah and uh, we built that in. It was either Hunky Dory or Okie Dokie. Hunky Dory is uh, kind of a saying that a lot of people have, it's good, it's great. And we developed that to start with. And that uh, took off. That's a very successful brand for us now at the moment. Seven years ago, uh, we were invited to tender by CNC to make uh, uh, tato crisps and snacks. And we successfully got that, won that tender to manufacture for them. And two years later after that, they decided to sell the business. And uh, we were one of about five or six people that bid for the business. But uh, fortunately and finally, we ended up with it about four and a half years ago. Were you up against international firms then? Oh, yeah. We're up against many different companies. Uh, some VC companies uh, uh, were the main opposition. Uh, so, yeah, there were quite a lot of interest in it. Only yesterday, you officially opened the Tato theme park. What's the idea? Why did you go with this concept? Well, about 15 years ago, I bought some uh, buffalo or bison. And it's one of the things that uh, I've done on total impulse. I'm sure we've all done that. Uh, whether it was a good idea or a bad idea, I didn't know at the time. But certainly, uh, uh, we got a lot out of it over the last 15 years. So the herd's up to about 250 animals or so now at the moment. And a lot of people come to look at it. And uh, there was comments from uh, lots of people, including my son, that we should build a visitor centre. And I've been to Hershey Park in Pennsylvania, and I've been to uh, uh, Cadbury's in Birmingham. Now, they're well-established, really well-done parks, and some smaller ones as well. And I believed if we could do a really good job, offer value for money, and offer entertainment, uh, it would be a great way of promoting our brand. And when we got Tato... I thought the best name to call this was Taylor Park because it's more family-orientated and it's got reach and it is known by a lot of people. So we put three and a half years of work into this and five years into the landscaping to get it right. And uh, it, well, it'll tell the tale. Within a year's time, 
we'll know exactly how we're doing. I congratulate you because you're creating employment. It's, it's well, a business that's opening and expanding at this time. Yeah, the business uh, at the moment employs just 39 people. And in the summer, we expect that to grow to 80 or 85, depending on numbers of visitors. Uh, so uh, that's fun. And all the people are from 20 to 24 uh, years of age, all young people, and are really, really enthused about the whole thing. And I was well, some of the feedback we had on Sunday was how good the people were. So good, good people. Uh, and uh, that's, for me, that was a particular privilege to be able to build uh, this park, find the money to do it, because it was difficult, and uh, finish it and start it up and have these good people around you. And it's a challenge, and it's a really interesting uh, challenge, and I'm sure it'll work. You're known as a very personable guy in terms of your business dealings and the people who work for you. Do you think that's important? You know all your workers, you're very much on name terms. I know this, I've been told it about it. Do you think that's an important aspect of business? Well, I think people are a very important aspect of business. And the people you have uh, working with you or you working with them, I mean, where are you without them? They're your frontline people. Uh, so there should be, uh, I am, and I'm proud of it, that some people are with me for well over 30 years uh, since I started. Uh, so uh, I think uh, people are the most important thing. And to be able to uh, talk and get opinion and, and get an informed opinion uh, from anybody that works in your business is important. You come from a farming background. Mm-hmm. I do. Tell us a little about about your early doors, where you come from, your family. Yeah, we're from uh, Curraha. My father used to have the pub, the local pub there. It's Swans now, well run, great pub. And uh, he sold the pub and bought a little bit of land and uh, uh, was full-time farming. He's retired now. Uh, my brother does that. My brother's the farmer now. And that was your, you started, that's where you went after school and that you got your bit of ground and started growing, was that it? Well, uh, I finished uh, my leaving cert, yes. as I told you earlier on, and uh, I went to the States for a while. You uh, told me you went to Harvard. I graduated. You pulled my Harvard. leg with that one, yes. Uh, didn't you believe me? I did, you yeah. were very persuasive, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> until, you, until you started to chuckle like that on the phone and then I realised. How, how near did you get to Harvard? Oh, I drove by it once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> and I know where it is, but Harvard, had, uh, Harvard wasn't for me, unfortunately, mm. at that time. But uh, uh, I came back here and started growing potatoes, about four or five acres uh, the first year, and some vegetables. Uh, and it was easy to do it because there wasn't much money required to do it at the time. So that's, how, that's when. And you said the late 70s was a very good time to be in the potato growing business. Amazing time. 77, 76, 78, 79. There were great years for potatoes. Lots of money made. Huge amounts of money made. And then we lost it all. In fact, I lost it all. And as you're well aware, I had to raffle a farm uh, to get out of debt in 82. So it just shows you. That's what I wanted to get to. Here you are today as Mr. Tato. It shows you that despite the difficulties you find yourself in, there's always hope. Oh, there's always a way around, but I'm not. Uh, I'm the custodian of Mr. Tato at the moment. Yes. And I'm the one running it at the moment. So uh, I share the pleasure of the ownership with a few banks, <laughs> which I pay back. Uh, but yeah, I am, and I'm very proud to be able to have the brand, to work with the brand. What a wonderful man, Raymond Coyle. We remember him today and I intend podcasting that interview in full on lmfm.ie. May I again extend our sincere sympathy to his wife, Roz, children, Charles and Natalia. 
all his family and friends. May he rest in peace. A wonderful, wonderful man, Ray Coyle. That's a lot on Late Lunch today. Tomorrow, we're going to hear about a local take on James Joyce and Bloomsday. We have your two on Tuesday and more besides. Eddie Caffrey's back with The Drive. He's coming up next here on LMFM Radio. Wonderful music and lots more besides over the next couple of hours. Stay with us. But We'll be back with your Late Lunch tomorrow, Tuesday at 1.30. Have a lovely evening. The Late Lunch with Blackstone Motors, Drogheda, Dundalk and Cavan. Check out the new sporty and spacious Renault Arcana in petrol and full hybrid. Guaranteed delivery, low AP or finance and 48-hour test drive. Visit blackstonemotors.ie. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a -a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.